Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. From Backpage, my name is Martin Gregg and welcome to a new episode of Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. This is my conversation with Sebastian Moffat about his brilliant 2002 book, Japanese Rules, why the Japanese needed football and how they got it. This book was an invaluable resource to me when I was researching my first book back in 2007 and it was great to reconnect with Sebastian years later. Like all great sports books, this is about more than sport. So it's not just about the explosion of the G-League in the early 90s, it's also about the sociological shift that it sought to bring about. It's one of my all-time favourite books, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Sebastian, so if I take you back to um, 2002, I know the book, the book was published in 2002, but you were probably writing it um, a year or two prior to that. Um, it struck me as a, a, I looked at the publication date last night that this was probably timed for the 2002 World Cup in, in uh, Japan and South Korea because timing is, is, right. is everything in, in publishing. So was, was that right? Were you writing towards the, the, uh, the showcase World Cup in, in these two countries? Kind of, um, but the, actually the idea came about, I think in 1997, before the, um, the France World Cup, which was 1998. Um, and it was getting very exciting because Japan were about to qualify for the World Cup for the first time. The J-League had taken off in 93, 92, 93. And I'd been in Japan then and I sort of followed it loosely. I'd written a bit about it when I was working for um, Reuters, but not much, just, just the occasional thing. So it had always been on my radar. And it suddenly seemed that there was something kind of interesting happening with the World Cup qualification for 98. And then, yeah, it occurred to me, okay, they're hosting the, um, the World Cup in 2002, co-hosting it. So this is that's kind of an opportunity for the rest of the world to look at Japan. There's obviously two strands to it. There's the, the, the explosion of the J-League, but there's also the rise of the Japan national team. And you, you document in the book how they had this horrendous close shave. They almost made yeah. the USA 94 and then they miss out. So it's a really cathartic moment when they actually, I think they beat Iran in the playoff for 98. Is that right? Yes, that was that was a big highlight. Everyone went a bit bonkers then. The J League and the explosion of it, and it really was an explosion in, in my memory, at least. Um, yeah. You know, as a teenager growing up in the, in the nineties, I, re- I remember it well. And obviously, a lot of the focus was on in Britain was on Lineker going there uh, to Nagoya Grampus Eight. But I wonder, like, where were you observing this from? Were you in Japan at that time? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was in right. Japan. I was working for Reuters. Um, you know, and so I did occasional sports assignments. Um, but not that many. But it was just sort of something I watched in my free time. You know, I'd put the TV on or I'd go and see the odd game. I always like it when writers who necessarily aren't just sports writers write a sports book because you get it from a different perspective. And that's, I think, why I kind of fell in love with this book. So 
I was looking through um, some articles from back from back in the day, and there's there's a really nice piece by David Goldblatt in the Independent, and he I want to quote this. He says the peculiarities of Japanese society present a tightly organised defence to a Western writer. An aggressive pressing game is only likely to meet with frustration. Incisive passing and thinking is needed to cut through the silences and feints of modern Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Was that was that why the book maybe interested you because you felt yeah. you had this unique perspective on it? You, you were living there, you were immersed in the culture, and you could come at yeah. it from a different yeah. angle. Yeah, I guess the angle was really not not writing about sports; is writing about society. Because I've been interested in Japan and Japanese society. I went there after I left um, university. I went to learn Japanese, and I thought, "Wow, this is this is an interesting, bizarre place," and, and it sort of piqued my interest. I did a master's degree in Japanese. Um, studies like anthropology and stuff and I was just interested in Japan as a place how it works why it's different why it's not always as different as it looks all that kind of thing was had been constantly going on in my head football seemed to kind of encapsulate some of these differences and some of the similarities some of the way Japan was and didn't want to be and wanted to change all of these things like you could sort of see in in, in football because it was a time of great change for Japanese society as well I think the nineties, um, they had kind of, their economy had peaked, um, around 1989, 1990, you know, the bubble, the bubble burst. And that was very significant because I think it changed people's values a lot. It, up until then, there'd been this idea that Japan was going to be the number one economic power in the world. Possibly it seemed like a, like a sort of an upward line of Japanese economic success. And that kind of, that kind of popped and that changed people's values. I mean, people thought, okay, well, you know, we, we need to sort of think about, you know, not just making money and, and becoming more powerful in a corporate sense. We need to think about things in a different way. And I think that was why it was an interesting time. Just to go slightly off topic, but like what, what first stirred your interest in Japan and Japanese culture? Why did you decide to, to, to go uh, yeah. and study there? I couldn't think what else to do. I was in my final year at uni. All the people I knew were getting sensible jobs and doing kind of doing these interviews, these rounds of interviews and stuff. And I, I didn't do any of that at all. I just thought um, I want to see the world a bit. And Japan just seemed interesting because um, it's it's a long way away, but also it didn't seem like it would be too much of a, like a, a hard place to live. It's not not sort of not difficult in a physical sense, not dangerous but a long way away in, in, in terms of being kind of culturally different. It's not like going to France or somewhere where the language is different enough, but you're still, you're still in kind of European culture. I thought it would be sufficiently different to be, to be exciting and, and it, I guess exotic in a way. I very much thought um, I just want to do something different and have a challenge. So I, I signed up for a Japanese course at a language school um, and just went <laughs> and paid for it by teaching English. When I first read the book, it, it became apparent to me very quickly that you had a real understanding of of, of Japanese life and, and culture. And did you feel you really had a, a, quite a deep understanding of it by, by the stage that you started to commit uh, words to print on, on this book? No, I mean, I've been there a long time. I mean, just work, studying and working. I, I spent a year working for a local newspaper. Uh, after I did my, I did a master's degree at SOAS in London. And the professor there was setting up um, internships for students. And one of the ideas he had was a, lo a local newspaper in a, in a city called Kanazawa. 
And so I spent 11 months, um, you know, working on a Japanese newspaper. I was just sort of there as a guest and they paid me, a, you know, living expenses and stuff. So that, that was kind of a, quite a nice deep plunge into Japanese society. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to the, the sport aspect of it, I mean, I think you're right. I think the thing about great sports books is they're never really about sport, you know, and uh, yeah. I, th- I think like um, this is really about a kind of social revolution and, and or a sociological shift in Japanese society seen through the prism of sport. And um, you make a really interesting point about um, baseball and you were saying how this was a sport kind of right. that was suited towards the, the post-war economic recovery. Yeah. Um, but to really you know, progress to the next stage of their economic success, if you like, they needed to liberate more aspects of, of you know, creativity and things. And, and football seemed to dovetail with the, what needed to happen, if you like. Is that right? Yeah. Um, one, one very early influence was um, a writer called Bob Whiting, Robert Whiting. He wrote a book um, called you Got to Have Wah. Wah is harmony or, or kind of peace. Yeah, harmony, basically, in Japanese. And the book focused on American baseball players who went over to Japan and things often didn't go very well at all. There were constant cultural clashes. The Japanese kind of wanted them to be different, but wanted them to conform at the same time. Um, They were seen as overpaid and not committed to the team, all all of these things. And it was a fantastic book. And it was a huge bestseller, I think, in in the U.S. He, He had that idea of, you know, baseball, how ironic that it's an American sport, which the Japanese then take over and make into this incredibly Japanese thing. And when I say incredibly Japanese, I mean, it's, it's in kind of um, became a vehicle for corporate Japanese values. Um, in, in, this, is, this is in the eighties, of course. Um, anyway, I talked to, to, to Bob and, and about this kind of thing. And I said, well, look, you know, I, I keep watching football and he, and it seems completely different. Um, it seems like the Japanese want to be more international. They, they want to be, um, they want to be different, and they want to learn from foreigners, and, and, and you know, to a certain extent, and maintain their own values as well. But they want to sort of, they want to be different in a way. And so he said, he looked at me quite hard. I remember and said, "So you're saying everything I wrote in You Got War is wrong?" And I said, no, 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 no. Because I mean, <laughs> I said, it's not that, it's just, it's different. That was, and I think that was about one era and one aspect of society, which, which he was writing about. And then I thought this, that football seemed to be about a different era and a different, a different um, aspect of society in, in Japan. And, that, and I got a, a lot of, um, you know, very good influence from him. Firstly, writing about society through a sport. But secondly, thinking, well, actually, this is kind of different. Well, we're writing about a different theme here. This is a different era in Japan. It's football in Japan is doing a different job from the job which baseball did for Japan at that time. The mission statement of the, the J-League is this, the shift from football being a corporate sport to, to being a more community-centric approach. Um, you know, the rebranding of the teams and all that sort of stuff. And it was a very strategic, a, a long-term strategy that they had, which has actually sustained them to this day. But I think going back to what you're talking about, it's interesting, the, you know, the way that they tried to add these different qualities to their mindset, if you like. And, and the way they tried to do that in footballing terms, um, first and foremost, was these foreigners that came. So, you know, um, Zico, Dunga, Stojkovic, Lineker, all the way through to Philip Trucier. Um, they were trying. To, I guess they were trying to graft the qualities that these these 
people brought in, into their football culture and by extension beyond. Yeah, I think so. Some of them succeeded better than others in that. And some of them, I think, probably got very frustrated because they wanted things to be, they thought of themselves as being there to teach and and show how to, to change in a certain way. And, and others were probably more f- flexible. Probably, probably Wenger was, was a success in, in, that, in those terms. I think he probably saw early on that he wasn't there to to sort of change things completely, but he was there as a sort of an influencer to help people change in the way that they could change or wanted to change. They asked him, you know, what are we supposed to do? You know, because, and then he said, no, you, you, you've got the ball. You make the decision. This isn't American football. We don't, I don't have a playbook, which you have to follow. It's about you with the ball. You make the decision when you got the ball. I'll give you guidance about the kind of decision you should be making and the kind of patterns we should be creating, you know, sort of a wider framework. But it's up to you to decide what you do with it when you've got the ball. You obviously didn't get Wenger, but the time you're writing this book, Wenger's probably in his pomp at Arsenal, and and, exactly. and, and that's fair enough. But, you know, in the acknowledgements, I think you reference Ardiles, uh, Stuart Baxter, Gary Lineker, Lebarski, yeah. Stoikovic. Yeah. I think you mentioned Trichet as well. So you did, you did get to a lot of these guys. Yeah, in different ways. I mean, Lineker, I, I talked to Gary Lineker for, I think, seven minutes. I remember seeing it on the phone. Um, no, he's very nice. I mean, he, he was just before we went on on the air for match of the day. I, I set up, he set up a time, and I called him, talked for very briefly, and I could I could you know get a little bit out of him from that. Um, other people uh, I talked to on the phone, Litbarski. I remember talking to him on the phone. I can't even remember where he was at the time. I think he was in Japan. I can't remember, but a lot of them, some of them were on the phone. Stoikovic, he was at Grampus at the time, and I think I went down there and. Um, just there was a press conference for some other reason where he was going to be and they said look we'll we'll let you take part and we'll give you a few minutes to talk to him so there was that yeah I went around tracing these people um, and, and trying to get them either on the phone uh, I think Stuart Bax was one on the phone I think he might have been in, in Scandinavia at the time um, and some people who were there they, they gave me their time I remember um, Hans Oft, who was the, the manager for the national team back in 92 when they just failed to get to the World Cup. Uh, no, 93, rather, 93. They failed to get to the World Cup in 94. He happened to be visiting Japan, and, and you know, we, we just met up um, over coffee for, for about an hour. As I say, it's like people who are in their pomp are, tend to be very, very busy and very much in demand from the media. But people who have done things in the past um, are not so busy, and often they're pleased that people are interested in what they've done. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
It, it would strike me as being important that you you did get to as many of these guys in person as possible, or certainly uh, on the phone, because you know you, you talked about having a concept for the book. So you're trying to execute in that concept. You, you're not, you're not writing an encyclopedic. Right. Yeah, review of Japanese football, you know, and yeah. there, there is some brilliant history in there, by the way, and I'm sure you could, you know, go to the libraries and do all that stuff. But but you, you've got a point of view you're trying to get across. So I guess you need to have that conversation with guys yeah. to say, well, this is what I think. What do you think? A lot of the interviews I did were after I um, sort of got the basic concept and thought about roughly what the book is going to look like. And I needed to, I needed to fill in some gaps and then get some, as many stories as I could. Um, so the yeah, a lot of the interviews were later rather than earlier. Also, it helped to do it later because I after I'd got a book contract, uh, it meant I could say, you know, I have a book contract, so I'm going to publish this. Whereas if you don't have a book contract, you're still sort of doing it on spec. Um, then people are thinking, well, is this really a good use good use of my time? And when when you approach them with with you know your your own ideas for for what the book should be, and you had the type of conversations you want you wanted to have. Did you find that they were receptive? Did they give you the stuff that that you wanted? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'd been a I'd been a reporter, you know, journalist for a number of years, but I'd probably been the kind of reporter who looks for comments from people, quotes from people, you know, people commenting about something. I think this is an outrage, or I think this is great, or whatever. You know, whether it's about sports or economics, whatever. But I read um, a book about interviewing technique and it's, it was sort of, how do you get people to tell stories? Because it's very different from getting people to say, you know, I think this is great. I think this is terrible, whatever, like, like that. That's, that doesn't actually get you very far when you're writing a book. You need people to say, well, what happened was this and then take you through a story and you can then put that down. So I read um, about how to do that. I always ask questions. I didn't ask people's opinions ever. I'd always sort of say, look, can you take, it back, take yourself back to a particular time when you did this or that? What happened? And then I would sort of take detailed notes and I'd go over that again and say, okay, I didn't understand what happened. You, you know, you talked to this person, this person said this and they did this and they did that. I didn't understand this, little, this reason for that. And I'd go over the same story again, like once or twice to fill in the gap so that I knew that eventually when I could, when I wrote it down, it would be a, a neat little story, you know, just a, you know, half a page or whatever, or even a paragraph, um, which made sense. And I'd also make sure to have their contacts so that if I went back, I could go back to them mm-hmm. and say, look, I didn't understand this or I didn't, or, or I might've misunderstood this just so I could fill in a gap in the story, each little story I was writing. You're not sitting down with these guys and saying, look, I'll get this sociological theory that I want to present to you. You're saying, look, tell me, tell me some stories about what went exactly. on in your life, yeah. and then you build your narrative around that. I had my, I had my theories, and I wasn't going to sort of debate them, particularly debate um, with them about them. Obviously, if they said something which contradicted what I think, then that would have been, then or, or changed it, then that would have affected it too. But I knew that the main challenge was enough stories, you know, to create interest and to keep people reading. Because I read, I read too many things where you just think, just show me what's going on. You know, don't tell me what you think. Just show me an illustration. Tell me a story about yeah. something that happened. Totally. So that, was my, that was my challenge there. I think that's why I 
love this book so much because there's a focus on personalities all the way through from the opening chapter you, you set out your stall with uh, Saburo uh, Kawabuchi this fantastic guy who goes over to Germany back in the day and, and looks at how they're doing things and then 30 years on becomes the architect of the G League but then you go Kazu Nakata there's a chapter in the, the Yokohama Flugels who merge with the Marinos at one point yeah. and you tell that you tell that story you tell the story of these crowd leaders so it seems that the, the narrative engine is these characters. Well, yeah, I interviewed as many people as I could, but I also read a lot of books in Japanese, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40, 50. Um, and I'd go through these books. They're all very quickly written on the whole, sort of 200 pages or so. And usually from each book, I would find something I could use. And I would, you know, I, you know, acknowledge the, the, the source in the in the book but also then go and check it check it out often with the characters if there's a story about someone i would then write it down um in sort of a concise form the kind of form i thought it could be used in and then i'd try and check it up with the person and try and go further or get them to look back on it and tell it tell it to me a different way um so i would combine real life interviews which i did with people with interviews they'd done in the past or books they'd written. A lot of players, just like in, in the UK, a lot of players have just written sort of biography, autobiographies, ghost-written them. And so I went through them and thought, you know, what here is of interest? Um, and there's usually, there was usually a little bit in each of the books I checked through. Yeah, it's interesting having access to that source material, being able to to, to uh, speak Japanese is such an advantage. And I think that's, again, going back to my original point, why you're uniquely placed to, to write this, this book. Yeah, I mean, I, I could read, I, I'd learned to read Japanese newspapers. It was part of my job as, as well. Um, and then for, for football books, after one or two, I got quite quick with them because it's the same kind of, um, same vocabulary. They keep, they keep using the same words, it's sort of a specialist football vocabulary, like a strange little... Western words which they've converted into Japanese words like stame. Can you guess what stame means? It's, it's short for starting a member. It's, it's like the line, the lineup, the lineup, the original. You know who gets in, the t who's on the team sheet. Stame. Interesting. Yeah, this is all these little words they made. Um, I mentioned uh, David Goldblatt earlier on in the conversation, and you know some of the the the, the kind of history and the socio-political stuff crosses over with with some of the themes that he explores in his writing. Um, but I have to say, this is this is such a different kind of book to David's, and, and I really really enjoy David's writing. But this is quite this is quite poppy writing, not poppy. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's like two hundred pages. It's twelve chapters. You know, there's a yeah. tight focus to it, and you know, you rattle through it. It's a good story, and and you know, um, was that yeah. a conscious decision that you wanted yeah. to, you wanted you wanted that to be really focused? No, I mean, I'd have liked it to be a bit longer, but um, right. I'm kind of a very as a reader. I've always found difficulty concentrating reading. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't read very much because I just couldn't stay focused. I'd get bored very quickly. Um, so I'm a kind of an impatient reader and that has maybe influenced the way I write things. I try to, I always try to cut things whenever I, if I read through them and it feels flat or boring, then I just try to cut, get rid of, get rid of it, keep it going. Um, and I think it, yeah, I think it's because I'm a, I'm quite a bad reader. I mean, I just I find it really hard to concentrate for long periods of time. I mean, a lot of writers can read vast amounts. I'm, I know, you know, I do read quite a few books relatively, but I've always found concentration difficult, difficult, and I get bored very easily. 
So that was probably why I made it poppy. Um, right. or, or try to stick to stories which were interesting me. And also I read a lot of American um, sports writing at, at that time. And they seem to be quite good at that. Like, especially, I'd say, around Bob Whiting with You Gotta Have Wah. I mean, that was endless, you know, hilarious or painful anecdotes, you know. And I just thought this is, this, that way of writing is, is the way to do it. Get in and get out and keep it going. The, the, the last time we met, uh, the one and only time we met was in, yeah. was in Tokyo um, I when, I, when I was over researching the, the Nakamura book. And um, um, I remember having a conversation about structure with you um, over a, a plate of sushi one night. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 I thought you had said to me something about a Shakespearean structure to this book. And, but I think I might have had one too many pints of Japanese beer that night. <laughs> but what, what I do remember is you had strong views on structure oh, yeah. and how you structured uh, this book. Can, can, can you remember yeah. like, what you yeah. were trying to achieve in the structure? It's not, not just the book, but also any, just a page or any kind of passage. It has to have a beginning and an end and a middle and be like a, be like a story. Um, so I remember writing bits of the book, you know, the early drafts and thinking, this is really flat. I, I just, I've written a paragraph and it seems like it's really interesting, the material. I was really interested in this when I heard about it or read about it or talked to someone about it. I've written it down and it's flat. It's boring. What is wrong with it? What I realized was you had to set up every little passage or, or a whole book with a, with a kind of a big question set up the kind of tension this is sort of the thing that you know hollywood scriptwriters are brilliant at um you have to set up tension and make people think even just a little bit you know what happens next on a micro level for each little story i might i probably did that um fairly well i think because i was concentrating on you know how can i why should anyone want to read this story which i've got why is it interesting? What's what's this problem it's trying to solve? What's this person trying to do? Where are they? Where, what are they trying to get to? Just to start to wind things up, Sebastian. Um, yes. The book here, the book came out prior to the the, the World Cup. How did it go? I mean, did it get a good reception? Did it sell copies? Like, what happened when it went out into the world? It got a good reception. I got a lot of um, very very generous reviews. Um, I don't think it sold very many copies, but that's how a lot of books are. Um, so I, I don't think it, it sold very much, but it did get it could get good reception, and it also helped me get a job. Uh, the people at the Wall Street Journal back then were very much into feature writing. They, they wanted people who could write features and anecdotes, um, and you know, two thousand word kind of very deeply reported two thousand word narratives. Um, and this actually caught their eye, and they and persuaded them to give me a you know a, a job. So, you know, things things happen in, in very indirect ways often. That's how life is, I find. Just to finish up, uh, a lot's happened in, in the last 20 years in, in Japanese football. And it's funny, having, having written a book about Shinsuke Nakamura and, yeah. uh, you, you know, immersed myself so deeply in it, I still feel quite in, invested in, in, yeah. in what happens, particularly when, when it comes down to World Cups and stuff like that. And obviously, I think they've now qualified for six consecutive World Cups and... Uh, I had a great night um, at the last World Cup watching the last 16 match against Belgium where they went 2-0 up and then, yeah. you know, they, they, they lost yeah. um, 3-2. Um, I didn't know how to defend. Yeah, didn't know how to defend. <laughs> but, you know, also you, you've got the... 
a level of player now. There's, there's the, you know, Minamino is at Liverpool. They've got yep. there's, there's a guy Real Madrid who's on loan. Um, you know, the the quality is 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 going up, and I just I just wonder, like, do you do you still feel invested in, in, in yeah, yeah. Japanese I mean, football? Do you still follow it? Yeah. I mean, I can't watch the J League because it's not broadcast here. Yeah. Um, if I, I visit the in-laws in Japan and I, and I watch football on TV there when I can, but no, when it's the World Cup, I support Japan. Um, now that's that became pretty simple after after certain events in the last few years um you know I'm, I'm english from england but i don't i can't really i don't really feel very invested in you know the england cause right now um so I, I support japan in the world cup it also helps having um japanese wife and two two kids who are half japanese yeah we, we support japan it's a, yeah i was i am pretty invested in it from that point of view do you think would you ever update it Yes, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I'm not. I haven't been in Japan for the last ten years living there, so I have to do a lot of extra research to go back on that period of time. Also, I'm not sure if what's happened in the time since it came out is as interesting in, in terms of a, sort of a you know creating something as what happened in in the first ten years. Of, of, of professional football in Japan. I mean, there's lots yeah. of interesting stuff going on, but it's kind of a different subject. I mean, there's, you could write about interesting players or interesting clubs. There's, there's stuff going on, but it's a slightly different subject from you kind know, of building something. And also, I think maybe the story now is more of a story. It's more of a conventional story. If they win, if they win the World Cup, will do very well. It'll, it'll be a, a sort of a more conventional football story about what the coach is doing and what the players are doing. It won't necessarily be a, a reflection on society or or uh, about some this, this sort of the mega project which was which was professional football back then it may it might be a more conventional sports story so it wouldn't wouldn't connect so well with what i was writing thank you for listening please check out our archive for lots of great episodes including the one referenced in this episode with david winner and check out our new book at the end of the storm stories from liverpool's historic title win published in partnership with the athletic the link to the book is in the show notes to this episode deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.